You're listening to the Missionary Perspective Podcast with veteran missionaries Eric Johnson and Joshua Mead. We're glad you could join us. We trust this podcast will be both a blessing and a challenge as we relate topics in world evangelism from a missionary perspective. Now, here's Josh and Eric. Welcome to the Missionary Perspective Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Johnson. Josh Mead is on assignment, and so are we. As I mentioned a few weeks ago with Josh in season two, we wanted to bring to you uh, some more testimonies, interviews, uh, interesting stories from other missionaries. And so today we have just that, someone I've been wanting to interview for quite some time. Uh, Missionary Kyle Sheridan and his family serve in the country of Chile. And today, not only in Chile, but in Patagonia, Chile. And so we're going to learn a lot about places in the world that maybe you don't know a lot about, a very unique but special place. You're going to hear some interesting and and awesome testimonies that the Lord has done in providing in some specific ways. We're also going to try to maybe cover some practical steps the Lord has helped uh, guide Brother Kyle and his family, uh, maybe even during difficult times. And then if you're good and you listen to the end, you might even get a special treat to hear Brother Kyle singing uh, with the wonderful voice the Lord has given him. But first of all, let's introduce you to Kyle. Kyle, thanks for being on the show today. Hey, Eric, first time caller, long time listener here. Uh, <laughs> ah, love the podcast and thankful to be with you. Uh, you and Josh do a great job. I'm glad to be with you. I was reading about your ministry recently, about the baptisms you had and the youth conference coming up. Excited about how the Lord's using you on the island. And uh, I love the material on the podcast. It's been a blessing to me. Enjoy hearing that. Well, we brought Kyle on to be our promoter. And so we appreciate that, Kyle, for that <laughs> good uh, announcement there. Appreciate those kind words. And we do uh, enjoy Kyle has been from the very beginning, one of those guys that listens and reaches out. So that really encourages us. We we want to know, make sure that more than just our moms are listening. And so that's good to know. Uh, so today, but we're here to find out about Kyle. Very excited. Um, I never, I think Kyle and I may have spoke one or two times before. Never met Kyle yet, just virtually. Uh, but I've been very aware of his ministry for a number of years. And um, specifically, I was mentioning to Kyle early in the, our, our phone call that my family, my kids, my wife, they really enjoy uh, not only reading missionary biographies and missionary letters, but specifically missionaries are in far ends of the world, places they like to learn about. And today we're going to learn about that. But before we get into the field where Kyle uh, serves with his wife and his children, let's find out a little more about Kyle. Kyle, tell us about you, where you grew up, um, where your wife grew up, where you kind of met each other. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. Well, we're both from Southern California. And born and raised in Southern California, raised by two wonderful parents, Pat and Rosalind Sheridan, my mom and dad. And uh, they probably will be the only people I invite that listen to this. So hi, mom and dad. <laughs> and uh, I came to faith in Christ when I was 17 years old. And I met my beautiful wife, Annie, in my freshman year of Bible college. Uh, at that time, we dated for three years during college. And before graduating, I had I had read... Um, I had read about missionary Bob Hughes, wonderful short little biography about him where he decided, you know, after he was, he had fought in the Philippines and he came back and went to Bible college and said, the day I graduate, I'm moving to the mission field. And so I got this crazy idea in my head, the day I graduate, I'm going to the mission field. And uh, I told Annie, I said, I had already proposed to her a few times and she had oh turned me down. Can you imagine that? What a mm. lack of discernment. If, if at you know first I mean? you don't succeed, try, try again, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
as my <laughs> pastor always says, I got the girl and that's what counts, right? Exactly. And so, uh, I was about to graduate and I told her, you know, I'm going to either go to Chile with you or I'm going to go without you. And she said, you're going to go without me. And Ooh. so we ended up up after three years. And then I moved to Chile as a single missionary in 2010 and helped mm. uh, start a church with Jason Holt, who's a missionary in Santiago, yes. Chile. Yeah. And uh, it was when I was in Chile that Annie decided she wanted to marry me. And so I got a message from her that said she wanted to marry me and I couldn't believe it. I, I, I mean, after so many years of waiting and praying and, and fasting and whatever, and I just, I had, uh, I had longed for this for so long. Um, and I said to her, I said, go talk to your dad and make sure we still have his blessing. I'll mm -hmm. talk to my parents. You go home. And I knew that we still had everyone's blessings because, you know, the Lord was in our relationship from the beginning and our parents were involved in everything. And so I called my dad, my dad was in the garden working on his uh, garden. And I said, dad, I need you to do me a favor. He said, okay, well, what do you need? I mean, can I, can I uh, change my clothes and shower? You know, I'm in my grubbies. He said, and I said, no, dad, I need you to do something fast before Annie changes her mind. <laughs> I said, up in my old bedroom, I've got an engagement ring hidden in the dresser. And I said, <laughs> I need you to go get the engagement ring and I need you to drive to my pastor's house because Annie's, Annie's dad is our pastor. I said, oh, I need okay. you to drive to my pastor's house and I need you to propose to Annie for me. Hmm. So I had been <laughs> turned in so many times that I decided to send in the reinforcements. And uh, that's that's how we got engaged. I was in Chile and Annie was in California and my dad uh, got her to say yes, finally. So I went back to California after about a year in Chile and we got married. And then within just a few weeks, we found out we were expecting our first boy, Micah. Hmm. And when Micah... At that time, I decided to do a year of deputation um, because, you know, imagine that it, it's really good if you have funds when you go to the mission field. And so I did a year quite, of deputation. Quite good. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, um, we came when our son was about three months old and mm. uh, arrived to Santiago. We were there for about a month and we came down to Patagonia in southern Chile, where we're serving now. And here the Lord's given us three more kids. We've got mm. Patrick, second oldest, and Abigail, and our youngest is Hudson. Mm. Well, that's that is. Um, I've heard a lot of stories about how people got engaged. Never heard that one. That's a first. Okay, so uh, we'll 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 put that back in our minds. And remember that one. Uh, but most important thing is that she said yes, and she stayed married to you, and you have four kids now, right? So uh, praise the Lord for that. I got the girl. You know, exactly. Uh, we're still married. She's she's never thought about divorce before, but I think she has thought about killing me a few, a few yes. times. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, happily married here in Patagonia. All right. Well, before we get onto the field and ministries, let's back up just a second. And let's ask, uh, I want to find out about, uh, you said you got saved when you were 17 and then went to Bible college. But where along the way did the, you feel the Lord's calling specifically into being a missionary? And then how did you uh, really feel the Lord's specific calling to that part of the world? Sure. Well, sometimes I, um, I'll i tell this story, especially when I'm preaching in Mexican churches or uh, in California. I'll, 
I'll say one night I went to the grocery store and I bought a, I bought one jalapeno, one chili pepper, <laughs> and I put it in the refrigerator. And the next morning I woke up and there were hundreds of chilies in the refrigerator. Wow. And I knew that the Lord had called me to chili. No, I, uh, of course I'm joking. <laughs> I, uh, don't, don't cut me off the call, but I'll admit I'm one of those weirdos who doesn't believe in a call to missions. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I'm not vehemently opposed to the concept or anything. It just isn't something that I lived and mm-hmm. it's not something that I impose on others who might desire the office of a bishop. Uh, I never experienced some sort of like mystical call or anything like that to the mission field. I just, I surrendered my life to Jesus and walked with him each day. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of a long story. I had a moment of concent- consecration in my life when I was in Guatemala for three months. And uh, down on my knees, I told the Lord, I said, whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. And at that point, mm-hmm. I had no idea what he would have me do. But I walked with the Lord each day. And uh, like I said, it's kind of a long story, but he's ordered my steps to Patagonia. And I know 100% for sure. I was I was just one of those who volunteered and said, here, my Lord, send me. And he took me up on the offer. And, <laughs> and of course, if what I'm saying disagrees, if you're listening and what I'm saying disagrees <laughs> with what your pastor has taught you, just ignore me because I don't know anything. And, and he's definitely right. Well, I think it's, it's neat. Uh, that's a great testimony. Um, I reminded about Dr. Sisk used to always say, you know, well, if you're not sure if you're called the mission field and you go, I think God will still forgive you. Right. You know, and uh, <laughs> uh, I think it's also interesting because this is what I'm going to delve into a little bit more is that, you know, this maybe you didn't feel some like you said, mystical calling. I don't know that anybody really does. Um, but I will say that you did put yourself in positions where the Lord would call you, especially to these Spanish-speaking countries. You mentioned you grew up in Southern California, and you and I were talking, you you were learning Spanish as a young man, but tell us how you developed even more than just learning in high school, uh, because you can't just go to the mission field and be very effective if you haven't prepared. And one of the most, as we've talked on this podcast many times, one of the most important things to do besides preparing yourself spiritually is preparing yourself with another language. So tell us a little bit how you could go to places like Guatemala and speak Spanish. Yeah, absolutely. I, I can't remember exactly who said it. I, I seem to think it was related to Hudson Taylor, but he spoke about how how can can you expect the Lord to speak to these people in their language if he doesn't speak to you in their language? Mm-hmm. And it was, uh, it was very important to me to learn Spanish, um, not for spiritual reasons at first. In fact, I started learning Spanish before I was saved and uh, mm-hmm. thank, thankful to my mom for that. In California at the time, in order to go to a Cal State University, you had to have uh, four semesters of, of a foreign language. And to go to a UC, you had to have six semesters. And so um, I was like, oh, I'm going to take one of the cool languages. I'm going to take Japanese or or French, you know, to impress the girls. Um, maybe Annie would have accepted my proposal the first time if I knew French, you know. <laughs> and uh, so my mom said, no, no way. If, if you're going to get a good job in California, you need to be bilingual. You need to know Spanish. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So my mom had me take Spanish. And uh, I ended up taking four years, eight semesters of Spanish in high school in Orange County, North Orange County. And... Uh, after that, I took a year of college Spanish, 
in like a, you know, community college or whatever. And um, when I went to Bible college, I had the distinct blessing of my parents covering the cost of college, but I didn't want to be lazy. And I decided I'm going to work as if I was paying for Bible college. So I would work, I'd go to school all day, then I'd go to work and then uh, stay up late doing homework and all that. I would save my money and I would, uh, every single summer, I would travel to Latin America. I spent mm. three months in Costa Rica. I spent nice. a total of six months in uh, Guatemala. I spent about three months in Mexico. I spent three months in Chile. I'm not sure if I'm missing any in there. But the reason why I, I decided to do that was because when I was kind of curious and sort of investigating missions and thinking maybe God's leading me into this, I don't know. Mm -hmm. I, I talked to um, a man who mentored me, a dear friend. His name is Dustin Reinhardt. Dustin is a missionary in northern Chile. Okay. Uh, Chile's so long that Dustin's probably closer to you on the island than he is to me here in uh -huh. Patagonia. Uh, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but probably not that much. Um, <laughs> and, and so Dustin, he told me two things. He said, I think missionaries make two big errors when they're getting ready for the mission field. He said, number one, um, he says, I think they, uh, they spend too long on deputation. He said, I think they spend too long on deputation. And so if you're ever a missionary, don't spend that long on deputation. And the second thing he said was, they know where they're going to be a missionary. Um, and they know the language that's spoken in the place they're going to be a missionary. And they've got two, three years of preparation and deputation and all that mm -hmm. uh, to start learning that language. And yeah. he said, if it's possible, and if you're going to serve the Lord in a Spanish place, I think you should learn Spanish first. Mm -hmm. uh, I was a captain of the wrestling team in high school. And I had a oh. trainer who told me, he said, uh, he gave me a percentage. I don't know. I'm going to make it up because I don't remember. You know, so he said one, only 1% 1 of people in the world write down their goals. And then he said, mm -hmm. but if you write down a goal, you have a certain percentage of possibility to be able to achieve that goal. So I wrote down the goal that my first week on the mission field, I'm going to preach in Spanish. I'm going to mm -hmm. soul win into Spanish and I'm going to disciple in Spanish. And mm -hmm. so that was kind of the goal I set. And I just went, uh, I went as hard as I could towards that. I, and, um, and I wanted to make sure that that first uh, term on the field, I could, I could just hit the ground running. And so that's what I did. The first week I was in Chile, I, I got to preach. I got to go soul winning. And I got to start discipleship. And then the next week I started teaching in a Bible college. And mm -hmm. so I'm, I'm thankful the Lord allowed me to, to learn Spanish. When I was in college, I actually got a job at Chick Publications. If you've ever seen those little comic book tracks, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I, I translator for Chick Tracks, translating the um, the website from English to Spanish. Hmm. And so that's a little bit of how I learned uh, Spanish. Wow, that's amazing. And, you know, that shows a, a great interest to have a, a fruitful ministry in the future, understanding the things that you know, really learning a language is, is not always that much fun. It can be if you like that kind of thing and um, you can make it fun, but it does require hard work. There's no way around that. And so uh, that's a great testimony to preparing yourself before you got to the mission field. Now, let's find out a little bit about Patagonia. Um, I'm assuming with your time, Jason, in, in Chile, you probably learned more about the country of Chile and 
and started learning maybe where where in the in the country the Lord could use you. So how did he direct your steps specifically to Patagonia? And tell us a little bit about Patagonia, where I imagine a lot of people listening don't know a ton about Patagonia. Sure. Yeah, I'll get I'll I'll get into that. I uh I, I received a, a wonderful Bible college education. I really appreciated it. Um however the focus was kind of more in established ministries. Uh, which I think is probably the the case. I had never planted a church, and one mm-hmm. thing I'm I'm eternally grateful for during my time with Jason and the Chilean pastors that he works with is that I got to observe what it looks like to give birth to a brand new church that didn't exist before. Yeah, and that's something that that I had never learned, and so I'm very grateful for that. I actually knew I was coming to Patagonia before okay. I went to work before with him. Jason. Okay. And, uh, but I, my mentor said, you can't go to Patagonia as a single man. And Annie and I had just broken up. And so that was when I decided kind of just to go, it was more like an internship this year there with uh, brother Holt. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, Patagonia, it's a, uh, it's a, a large region and it spans two countries. So it makes up the Southern tip of South America and it's the southernmost parts of both Chile and Argentina. We get to serve Jesus on the Chilean side. And, uh, of course, our seasons are flipped. You all there coming out of summer, right? We're, we're coming out of winter. We had, we had snow this week, as I was mentioning on our call earlier. You know, one, of the unique, one, one unique aspect uh, about our field is that where we are, a lot of people here consider Patagonia to be like one unit. Mm. And uh, there's a lot of rivalry between Chile and Argentina, but that's kind of more up north between Santiago and Buenos Aires. But where we're at, we have a wonderful relationship with the Argentine side. And um, the place where we're at, it, it's it's mostly Chilean culture, but with a heavy dose of Argentine language, customs, and traditions, uh, which is very cool. And I appreciate that. I enjoy learning that. Mm-hmm. Uh, here's an interesting detail about Patagonia. If your kids don't know this, they'll like this. It is less densely populated than the Sahara Desert. Wow. And so people here are really spread out. The mm-hmm. train is crazy. Uh, you know, four hours north of us, we've got an iceberg. Um, and four hours below us, we've got an iceberg. And mm-hmm. uh, the terrain here is, is very interesting. It's, it's hard to get around. You know, the roads aren't always the best. And the place that we live, our city, is very isolated. You can only get here... Uh, either by boat, by plane, or through a very long trip going through Argentina. Um, and so it's, it's, it's an interesting uh, place that we live. And, and it's a vast region with, with an incredible need uh, mm-hmm. for laborers. Uh, and so we, we are praying for that. And I'd ask that anyone hearing my voice right now would stop and pray and ask the Lord of the Harvests that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. Well, that's exciting. And and I can see the challenge if you have something that's so spread out to, you know, the, the challenge of starting a church with enough people and, and then be able to reach people. And so tell us a little bit about that. You got down there, you're married now. Uh, you, you arrived to the Patagonia area, you're going to serve. And how do you, what, what's the first thing you start doing as far as ministry there? Sure. Well, you know, ministry is all about people. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of times we'll get to the field and we'll think, I need to get a building. 
but uh, buildings, buildings are great, but buildings aren't that important, really. I mean, if you're not in Patagonia, you can start a church under a tree. It doesn't really matter. Here, it's a little cold for that. But um, the first thing we said, we need to get people. And uh, our goal has always been to make consecrated disciples and consecrated disciples who in turn will make consecrated disciples. That's what we want. We want to, we soul win because we want to win people who will become soul winners. And in our ministry is heavily involved in every single day in one-on-one -on -one discipleship. And we do that because we want these people then in turn to do one-on-one -on -one discipleship with others. And, and we want to, we've planted a church in the city of Kujaike, which is, it's called uh, Bible Baptist Church of Kujaike or Iglesia Biblia Autista de Kujaike. And it's, uh, it's the capital of the 11th region of Chile. And we started this church um, with the desire to, to have this church give birth to other churches. You know, we want to train, our, our goal is to train church planters who will train church planters. Um, I, we're in an exciting time in our ministry, the first few years were very slow numerically. And so one by one, we began to see people added. Um, but I remember in the first several years, probably even four or five years into it, we were still having church services sometimes once a week where nobody showed up. Mm. And it was, uh, it was difficult, to be honest, very, very hard sure. at that point. Um, but I, 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 I spoke to another missionary about that one time, and I said, our, our attendance last week was amazing. We had so many people. And then yesterday, we didn't have a single person show up. And, <laughs> and he said to me, he said, if you put your eyes on the harvest, it can get discouraging. But if you keep your eyes on the Lord of the harvest, your spirits will always be lifted. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's just kind of been my motto and something that we've stuck to. And, and we did. We stuck to it. Um, and now each Sunday, there's about 80 people uh, that we've, we've won wow. to Christ and discipled and who are congregating together. And it's, uh, it's been exciting times. We've got those who are interested in full-time ministry. Um, I'm training some for ministry. I had designed a, a seven semester college level Bible Institute program. And uh, that's for a young man that I'm training for ministry. His name's Nacho for short or Ignacio. Yeah. Americans always get such a laugh out of Nacho. Um, I always forget that it's, it's food when, <laughs> and then I'll talk about him and people just start laughing. Uh, um, nacho. nacho so, <laughs> yeah, oh Yeah. That's funny. I went to pick him up yesterday on the way to a church service and a church plant that we're doing. And to tell him that we were leaving the house, I went, Nacho! I said, <laughs> and so, well, now everyone knows that we're worldly. Can we edit that out? Uh, just yeah. kidding. They better know. They better know. Yeah, right. Um, we finished three semesters of the uh, the Bible Institute, which is really exciting. It's It's a lot of work. Uh, we've had different students join at different times. We've had as many as 15 in, uh, in the second semester. And right now, we've got three very serious men who I think are going to be pastors uh, with other men that have expressed the desire, but they haven't necessarily taken that next step yet. Um, and currently, uh, just in the last several months, we've ventured into planting another church in the second largest city uh, here uh, in our region. And that city is called Puerto Aysen. And so we're making a trip uh, once a week out there uh, each week and, and holding services now on Thursday nights. So 
that's pretty exciting. That's tremendous. That it's really great testimony to see what the Lord's doing there. All right, uh, Kyle, let's uh, let's talk a little bit about something really exciting. Um, my wife shared this testimony of yours with me a, a number of months back when she first read it. I don't know if, I think it was in one of your prayer letters or an update. And I'm not going to mess up. I hate people who mess up the story and tell all the wrong things. I'm kind of an exact person, but it is an amazing story. So uh, you can take a little bit of time here. Explain to us how you were, you guys with your church were looking for a piece of property. I believe you found a, a, a very specific place that is pretty exciting. And then more importantly, after you found this place, how the Lord literally in a miraculous and very unique way uh, started meeting that provision. Why don't you explain the background and take a little bit of time? Sure. You know, uh, we we could do a whole podcast on how <laughs> God has miraculously provided for us since we came to the field. But since I came single and up until this point in time, um, I'll give this small detail as an introduction. We were taught a philosophy and like I said, if this goes against what you've learned from your mission board and your pastor and things like that. I'll edit it uh, out. I'll just take it out. Please, yeah. Please use <laughs> wisdom and follow your counselors. Um, but we were we were taught a philosophy to set a date, not a dollar. And that's mm -hmm. what uh, we were taught by Brother Jack Baskin. And mm -hmm. so I, I clung to it and I said, all right, we're going to do it. I prayed about a time and I just went to the field by faith and uh, not that if you don't do it that way, you're not going by faith, but uh, that's what we decided to do. And and so we came to the, I, I talked to Jason Holt and I said, how much money do you think that we would need to to function in Chile, in Patagonia? It's one of the most expensive parts of, this, of the country. Mm -hmm. And so he gave me a figure and I prayed and I said, Lord, we're going to go to the field in a year. Uh, I believe that's when you want us to go. And, and uh, would you give us that figure? And when we came to the field, and so Jason had given us a, a figure and he said, you're not going to have much money for ministry funds, but that's just going to kind of cover your family. Mm -hmm. And when we came to the field, we came with 40% of that figure. <laughs> and so we came with what a lot of people would call being extremely undersupported. And uh, we got to work and within just a few months, the, the, the new church where we were winning people and discipling them was fully independent of us financially. They were paying all their own bills. Mm -hmm. uh, and on top of that, lots of extra money was coming in um, in the offerings. And so the church, uh, before long, after six years, the church was able to purchase their own building, a new building, uh, with 100% Chilean funds. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was before we had taken our first furlough in 2019 when we finished raising our support. Uh, and we got up to, you know, uh, a regular level of support. Um, but the, the church here purchased their own building and that building got too small uh, for us. And so we began to pray that we'd be able to find a, a new building. And um, my theme verse for the story that you've asked about is Psalm 50 and verse 10 that says, For every beast of the forest is mine and the cattle upon a thousand hills. The church year had been praying and asking God to provide for the purchase of a, of a specifically um, a non-operational restaurant as a new home for the congregation uh, on the size of a media hectaria. And mm -hmm. I'm thinking, I, I don't even know if a half hectare is a word, but it's, uh, <laughs> I, I did the math and it's, it's like a few acres. And so okay. just this large property. 
And um, we prayed about it and all of the leadership, we got together every man uh, who is a member of the church and there was 100% um, unity that everybody wanted to go forward with this purchase. And so what we did was uh, we signed a contract where we had to pay one quarter of the price. The price uh, was $242,000. So we had to pay a quarter of the price and then we would have 12 months to pay the remaining three quarters or we lose the, the money that we had put down. <laughs> and so a pastor of a supporting church and also a man who's been like a mentor to me who's forbidden me to share his name when I tell this story. Um, he says, uh, he calls me and he says, hey, how much money do you guys still need for the purchase? And at that point, we had done some fundraising here locally and stateside with some of our partners. And I told him, we, we need uh, $100,000. Uh, we still need $100,000. The Chilean believers here and our ministry partners, we've been able to raise 142000 hmm. And so the pastor, he mentioned the need to this, their church family, their praying church. And so they're always praying for us. And uh, they, they got our back in that, in that way. And, and so it was a Sunday evening service and he offered this, this prayer request. Several weeks later, uh, he contacts me and he says, can you call me? Um, and when I called him, he says to me, are you sitting down? And that can be a, either a good sign or a bad sign, right? Sure. He proceeded to tell me an unfathomable story. Hmm. A man had walked into their service that night and handed him a bag. The pastor had never seen this man before, nor hmm. had he ever attended services. The man had never seen the pastor before. Hmm. And if he hands him the bag, he says, let's pay for that building in Chile. <laughs> taken back the pastor says who are you and how do you know about our missionaries need in Chile um the man told him that that morning he had been working his cattle and he got onto YouTube and he watched a sermon from a church a local church and it was this church it was a Sunday morning service and he enjoyed it so much that he just let it keep going and YouTube put on the following sermon which was that Sunday night service. Uh, it was the services from weeks earlier when the pastor had mentioned the need here in Patagonia. And God put it on this man's heart to generously give towards the project. And the bag that he handed the pastor had $100,000 cash in it. Mm. Wow. Only God could do that. And I praise him for it. This man works in cattle. And of course, I'm reminded that God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Uh, we shared that momentous mm. news with the church and there was hardly a dry eye. Mm. And we just were weeping. And I mean, we've been working, fundraising and praying and praying. And we just praised the Lord together and sang his praises for hours. We sang mm. praises for hours. <laughs> we must have sung at least 50 hymns as we just lifted up our voices in <laughs> praise and worship and just thanking the Lord. And so that's just, that's just uh, one of the amazing stories of how we've seen God provide for, for his work here in Patagonia. Well, that's not only one of the stories. That's one of the best stories you're ever going to hear. I think as missionaries, we love hearing those stories. I know, I know Christians love hearing it, but as missionaries, 
when you go through it and you have spiritual dreams that the Lord gives you and you wonder how the Lord's going to provide and when he does you rejoice and you have that same kind of kinship and fraternity with another brother that you I remember we we I don't know many people we've told that story to like I remember telling my mom who's a Christian about that story and she's like you got to be kidding I'm like no this really happened like that's an amazing story and you know the great part of it is you know the Lord gets all the credit you know it was no manipulation there's no obligation you know that's the kind of stories that um really like you mentioned encourage people who are literally in the corner of the world thank you for joining us for this week's episode of the missionary perspective podcast be sure to like and share with your friends if you've been blessed by this episode and join us next week as we conclude our interview with missionary Kyle Sheridan to Patagonia, Chile.